You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Vault Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here for another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, again, if you're whether on your YouTube, whether you're listening on your podcast app of choice, we really appreciate you guys tuning in week in and week out when we have these episodes, whether it's a Vol Basketball Fever, Lady of Vol Basketball Fever, a special interview with a player or coach or beat writer. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. If you're on YouTube, please hit subscribe and like this video. Uh, liking the video and, and subscribing obviously helps out the channel grow and helps us uh, reach more people. So really would appreciate that a ton. And of course, share it around. Share the podcast, the audio podcast, or share the YouTube channel around with your friends, family, anyone you know who's a Vol fan who might uh, want to hear more about Vol basketball because we talk about just Vol and Lady Vol basketball here on the show. It's not a show that also talks about you know football, baseball, other stuff. But we'll mention those those sports, but this is a, a specifically for you basketball fans out there uh, and, and Vols and Lady Vols fans as well. Gene, this episode's going to be a mailbag episode. Uh, before we get to that, we do have a couple of topics I wanted to talk about before we get to it. But if you ask questions, I asked on Twitter uh, for you guys to send your questions, and we got a few on there. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you will see your name, I guess your tweet on the screen here. So uh, I guess if you want to see your stuff on, on the screen, future incentive uh, for my call for questions in the future, uh, send them questions. You'll, you'll get to be, I guess, featured on the show here. But I got a few of those. But before we dive into those questions, Gene, uh, we didn't talk last week about the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and even since then, we've kind of got even more scheduled news. Not any firm dates on these, but the SEC announced earlier this week, I believe on Tuesday, uh, actually, no, it might have been, yeah, it was Tuesday, uh, Tennessee tweeted out the graphic today on Wednesday, we're recording this Wednesday night, but on Tuesday, uh, the SEC announced, not the schedule per se, but they announced the teams every SEC team will be playing, uh, and for once, at least on paper, Gene, I think Tennessee has a not a super difficult. It's it's always difficult when you're in the SEC in any major sport, but compared to some of the last few seasons for Tennessee under Rick Barnes, especially in SEC play, it's not as brutal of a schedule on paper. You of course have your home and home series with Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, uh, but you also will be playing home and home series against Auburn, which will be fun because. Uh, Two times the Bruce Pearl versus Tennessee is always going to be fun. And I, I wish these, those two teams had played at home and homes last year, I guess this past season. But this upcoming season, we'll see Auburn as a home and home, uh, Tennessee hosting Auburn, and they also going to Auburn to play them. And also Mississippi State, which I think will be better than last year. Maybe I, I do not remember who all they've added and lost. I, I'll have to double check that. We'll, we'll know, you know, we'll kind of have a better feel for the teams as the months go on. We get closer to the season. But Auburn and Mississippi State are the two other home and home teams at Tennessee. Um, we'll be playing this year along with Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. They're permanent rivals. The home slate of games this season in the SEC, Gene, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Not a, I mean, that's not a stellar home series, but you do get Arkansas and Alabama at home, which I imagine those two are going to be, especially Arkansas, with all the talent they have, they're going to be a preseason probably top 10 team. And Tennessee doesn't have to face them on the road, which, you know, they lost last year to them on the road. 
Um, so that's a, a plus. You only, only faced them in Knoxville. On the road, of course, you also have Auburn, Kentucky, uh, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. But you also go to Florida, to LSU, to Ole Miss, and to Texas A&M. All in all, Gene, it's not bad. You, you split. You have home and homes against two of the tougher opponents in Kentucky and Auburn. You only host Arkansas and Alabama. To me, your toughest road trips are going to be Florida. I mean, besides Kentucky and Auburn, are going to be Florida and LSU. Then you also throw in the fact that we, we know some of the other non-conference matchups and some of the early season you know tournaments that Tennessee is going to be in. But then you also throw in the fact that, like I just said, we didn't talk about last week. You have the Big 12 SEC Challenge that announced all of their matchups. Tennessee's playing Texas again, but this time they're hosting them. Of course, last time those two teams uh, played each other in Knoxville was the very famous uh, Chris Lofton over Kevin Durant three-pointer. Tennessee winning in overtime in that game. Of course, beating Rick Barnes in Texas uh, that time out. But Tennessee will be hosting Texas. So you get a lot of, I, I think, finally for Tennessee, it's been a while since they've had a that's a truly favorable schedule. And even this, I don't want to say it's the most favorable schedule you could draw up. But, hey, uh, this is not a bad schedule. This is a schedule that, with the kind of talent Tennessee has, as long as they don't sustain any injuries. Again, this is on paper. This is late June, early you know, early July when we're talking about this stuff. A lot can change between now and you know November, December when the season really starts getting underway. Uh, but, Gene, I, I kind of like that schedule with, with your toughest road matchups being Kentucky, Auburn, Florida LSU and two of those teams, Kentucky and Auburn, you have the home and home split. And then again, you're hosting Texas, you're hosting Alabama, hosting Arkansas. I, I don't think it's a bad schedule. I think this is a, a type of schedule that can shape up to get Tennessee into that top four of the SEC, which is exactly what you want to be doing year in and year out because that gives you the double buy in the tournament. And if you're in the top four in the SEC, you're more than likely going to be, you know, one of the top 16 teams, a four seed or better in the NCAA tournament more than likely too. Yeah, obviously you've got to watch out for the um, the tsunami that is South Carolina this year. But I mean, you know, the home and home with there, you know, it could, it's always going to be tough. But you know, I think because I know we're going to get to this later in the podcast, I don't really know how I feel about uh, this team this year. I, I think so. I, I think that the fact that you perhaps don't have the most difficult schedules. And then you look at the fact that, you know, the one of the Kentucky games will be in February. Uh, Auburn is always in February. Probably LSU will be in February. Um, you, you've got, because LSU is not a home and home this year. So you're, well, actually, I don't know if LSU will be because obviously that school's in, uh, that program's in disarray <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah. At least. You know, so, you know, probably Alabama. So I think there's a positive there because you have an opportunity to kind of get your feet under you um, in, a, in a sense in the fact that you'll probably have some of those games like a Vandy, who I do think Vandy has a chance to be decent because, you know, they were actually, you know, we look back, I mean, they were actually pretty good uh, when they were healthy last year. Um you know, South Carolina, not now Missouri first year coach, uh, Mississippi State first year coach. You're, you're facing a lot of first year coaches and you have at least an established, uh, established program, uh, in place. So you, you have an opportunity in the 18, uh, in the 18 game schedule to kind of pile up some early wins 
and, and as you know, the Alabamas and Arkansas and Kentuckys of the world are, are trying to you know go through their own navigation of the schedule. You know, I, mean, I, I haven't had a chance to look at their schedules. What you know, what uh, what issues they may have in terms of their scheduling, who they may play early on. You've kind of got to have a chance to potentially kind of get out in front of some of these other schools because, in theory, your schedule is not going to be, um, I don't think, as difficult early on because it's not it's not the most difficult schedule this year. Like I think last year there were a lot of early pitfalls, uh, a lot of early things that were there. Uh, people didn't really – I didn't really respect Arkansas because of what I saw them do the year before. But, I mean, I think that ship has sailed. Um, Alabama kind of took a step back last year. Um, you know, we, we don't know what to expect from Kentucky. We just don't. So, like, I mean, I think, I mean, what is this league going to be this year? Like, I think that's, that's something that I think could be talked about, uh, at a later date. Like, what is this league going to be? Like, is this league going to be like legitimately like top two? Top three. I know those things we talked about in years past. I mean, like last year, they're the best league or the second best league in the country. Although uh, I think the Big Ten kind of reminded some people last year that they're actually a good league. We just can't win a national championship. <laughs> the only knock on them is they just can't win a national championship. But, um, but yeah, I think as you look at maybe, you know, Auburn, Arkansas. Bama, Kentucky. Beyond that, are we sure that there's anybody that's going to be legitimately good this coming year? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously counting Tennessee in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Past those five, like, are, are we sure that there's anybody <laughs> that we can yeah. just bank to be legitimately great? Like, go you know, mark them in for 22 to 25 wins. They're not sweating out Selection Sunday. They are there. They're looking at placement. LSU's not going, we assume, although they, they haven't. I know they haven't announced anything yet, but the, regardless of how good they are, not going to the tournament. Ole Miss, that coach is trying to get it. He was trying to get to Florida. He was trying to get the Florida job loss offseason. Didn't work out. Somebody else, or Georgia. Georgia, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, was trying to get the Georgia job. And he just was unfortunate that the Florida coach beat him to it. You know, Florida goes and gets a, a guy, first year coach trying to build something. Georgia has a guy, first year trying to build something. You know, in South Carolina's got a guy, first year trying to build something. And so like you look, as you look at the layout of this league, I mean, there's, there's going to be somebody. Like, I don't know who it's going to be. But there's going to be somebody that we aren't factoring in where all the pieces will fit. They'll connect. And we'll be talking about a team. Man, didn't see this. You know, who's going to be that team this year? uh, Who was it last year? Um, Got an A&M. Yeah, they got hot. I remember they didn't make the tournament, but, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but yeah, like, I mean, I think, you know, I say all that to say, like, if you look at it from the scheduling perspective, until we know, there's no reason to think that 
Tennessee can't be walking out of walking, you know, walk into February ten and two in the league. So at some point in February they're ten and two with six games to go. Um because you know, here we are on June 29th, and a lot of these teams we don't know much about. And I could actually, when you, as we'll talk about later, to me that kind of includes Tennessee. Yeah, and no, I think it's fair. And I think you made a good point too. That I think, like you said, we'll we'll talk about probably in future episodes um, about what the SEC is going to be this year, how good they can be, top heavy, are they going to be more even? Um, I, I think a big X factor, kind of the the biggest the team that could probably throw the biggest wrench into all that's going to be Florida with, you know, under the first year head coach, um, Todd Golden, who came from San Francisco, led them to their first NCAA tournament appearance since 1998. This past year, and they took Murray state uh, to overtime. And that was a good Murray state team um, as well. They went 24 and 10 this past year, did San Fran uh, at the West, yeah, the WCC conference, West coast conference over there. So it, he'll, he'll be interesting. Cause again, I, I think almost any hire would have been an upgrade over Mike white to me. I just I'm not a huge Mike white fan. I'd be curious to see how he works out at Georgia. Um, but that's, uh, that, that was just such a, a, that's such a weird move, but you mentioned there's several f- first year head coaches at their schools. Cause technically Mike white is a first year head coach at Georgia, but he's not a first year head coach in the sec. Um, but again, Golden at Florida, Missouri's got a new head coach. Georgia has a new head coach. I mean, there, there's new blood in the SEC this year where there hasn't been as much of new blood um, in the conference the last few years. It's been a pretty steady conference for the most part over the last few years. And at Mississippi State, new head coach too. So yeah, I, that's a that'll be interesting. I think that's a really good conversation to have here in the summer where we're in July and kind of looking at the SEC and you know, kind of maybe reviewing some of the rosters and stuff, or maybe some of the moves that happened this off season because there was a ton, not just coaching, but um, roster wise transfers and everything. I'll, I'll hopefully there's someone that, that there was an Arkansas r- reporter last year for Rivals who like kept track of all of the goings and comings of transfers and stuff within the SEC and out of the SEC, and like had an, up, an article he kept updating over and over. And I'd, hopefully he or somebody is doing something similar this year because I would love to bookmark that and keep it up and kind of see you know who all has and you know, who else come in who else left uh from the sec just from a, a transfer standpoint because again the arkansas is bringing a ton of talent from the recruiting rankings as well or recruiting i guess ranks and and some transfers too so it, it's interesting and you know you make a good point I mean, aside from those five you know who do you think really can be a 20 win or more team so that's a good conversation for the future but i wanted to talk about the scheduling and kind of the the opponents at least in the big 12 sec challenge because we didn't get a chance to, or I guess kind of forgot last week, but yeah, I think you're right. Like not, I'm still not entirely sure what this Tennessee team is going to be, but the schedule I think is a lot more favorable to them this year than it was in years past that it has been in years past. Because like you said, you had pitfalls early last year for Tennessee in November and then into December. And then even the, the early part of the sec schedule, because Tennessee started out, what two and three in SEC play? Uh, maybe even two and four. I forget which which one it was now. But they lost to LSU, they lost to Kentucky, and they lost to I don't remember the other team they lost to now. Uh, but those at least those two teams and and they were pretty bad losses at that point too. And then Tennessee, you know, went on the tear. Only loss they had for a long time was to Texas and then to Arkansas and then you know finished the season out strong and then won the SEC tournament. So yeah, I, I think this year 
you have a better chance of having a better start. Now, will the finish be what you had this past season? That's a really interesting question. We won't know all that until the schedule actually comes out. We get the dates for when Tennessee plays these teams. But I think you're right, Gene. I think, again, Tennessee and Kentucky will play probably twice in February. Maybe one of those will be in early March. Tennessee and Auburn will probably play in February, if not the last game in the regular season, because that tends to be when they play each other, it feels like. And then Tennessee and Bama will probably be, or Tennessee and Arkansas will probably be in, in February as well. Let's get into the questions here we have uh, for the show. We have three. Technically, we have four. One of them, uh, I will I will say it here. It's from Derek at the Gym Rat 13 on Twitter, asking if Aiden Holloway commits, should he reclassify to this year to fill that guard need? Good question, Derek, but Aiden Holloway is going to go to Auburn unless something changes in the next uh, month. He's, he's, he's committing sometime in July, I believe. Um, we might revisit that if he ends up changing his mind or you know coming to Tennessee, Derek, but right now I'm just going to – it seems like all signs are pointing towards Auburn. So we may revisit that one here in a little bit, Derek, and maybe you know Gene and I were both wrong about Julian Phillips, so maybe we'll be wrong about – or I will be wrong about Aiden Holloway. Uh, but Gene, to get to actually kind of the first one here that I wanted to to talk about was from Andrew Davis at Andrew D two thousand one on Twitter. With the team seeming to go ten deep this year, how do you think their rotation looks? He said this is a question for the men, by the way, because I asked for Vols or Lady Vols questions. Gene, we've kind of hinted at this, danced around it, sort of talked about it multiple times on the show already. Let's just go ahead and answer it. So Andrew asked, let's go ahead and answer. What the heck does this rotation look like this year? Because we've talked about, you know, who do you start and who plays when, who plays what. Um, the roster is, I'm trying to see if there's an updated roster online from the actual University of Tennessee. I don't think it's been updated yet. Um, but you still have that one spot available right now. Um, it looks like it has been updated. So you have one spot available technically still where you can go add. And we've seen Tennessee pursue point guards and stuff and not work out. But as of right now, the roster as it stands for your scholarship players are, I'm, I'm doing this in jersey number order, which is how it is on the UT website, Jonas Adu, BJ Edwards, Julian Phillips, Tyreek Key, Sakai Ziegler, Olivia Kamwa, Javai Meshack, Santiago Vescovi, Josiah Jordan-James, Urosh Plajic, and DJ Jefferson. And, and by the way, both Tyreek Key and Olivia Kamwa, according to um, John Rothstein, they both have been cleared for all basketball activities. So that's good news for Tennessee. Good news for those two guys who, um, you know, both uh, Tyree Key missed all last season due to sh- shoulder surgery. And of course, Camwad sustained that season ending injury against South Carolina. Both those guys are cleared to go and, and have all basketball activities uh, with Tennessee and with their teammates. But Gene, we've talked about kind of the backcourt being, even if, you know, Tennessee doesn't go and add a, a, a another point guard or, or guard, another guard here in the next month or so, it's still pretty loaded of a, of a backcourt because you have probably at this point, Sakai and BJ Edwards being your, your point guards with the capabilities of a, a Josiah or a, a Vescovy playing point guard if needed. Uh, you have Tyreek Key and Vescovy at that two guard spot that are, and then Joe Meshack kind of at the two and three. You have Josiah who can play the three and four. You have Julian Phillips who can play the three and, and probably, you know, will play a four as well, but a different t- a different style of four. Camwall, who plays the four, um, can play the five in the small ball, I think, too. And then you have Urosh and Jonas Adu as your your main kind of fives right there. And then again, you, you throw into what does DJ what does DJ Jefferson do as a true freshman this year? I think as the roster stands right now, 
I think it's a team that is kind of 10 deep early, just kind of like we saw this past year, Gene. We, we saw the team play a lot more guys early on, and, and it, it paid dividends as the season went on because you had Olivia Camwell get hurt, and you had to play you know, Brandon Huntley Hatfield more. You had to end up playing Jonas Adu, even though you thought maybe you weren't going to have to. So it ended up paying dividends in the long run of Tennessee that they played guys early. But I think just kind of as a normal basketball season goes, I think you may see Tennessee go 10 deep, uh, in games earlier this season in November, December, maybe even in January. But once we get into February and March, I think you'll see that rotation whittle down to eight and maybe maybe even seven. Again, it depends on do you trust that eighth guy, as you've said multiple times on the show and, and kind of you know tried to raise the basketball IQ of me I, personally and also the listeners. Um, you don't always trust, you don't, you don't go eight deep unless you have the eighth guy you trust and as soon as you have that eighth guy they trust this year because i think to me it's they're starting five more or less you guys are gonna make the five most the five guys getting the most minutes i think this year for tennessee will be ziegler vescovy james camwa and then I'm, i would probably say julian phillips but i think it'd be interesting to see how much run he gets early does he come on stronger as the season goes on because i think arosh is a and adu are gonna definitely get a lot of minutes at that five spot and then that leaves um, Tyreek Key. I think he's going to have an impact this year for Tennessee, too. So then after that, who else do you have? Because I think those are kind of the guys, unless Meshack takes a, a significant step forward, I think it's uh, B.J. Edwards, will, well, I think, will have to play because you don't have another backup point guard either. So I, I think really looking at the main guys being left out potentially in the rotation right now, are Meshack and Jefferson of, of the guys that you brought in. Of course, Toby Awaka isn't part of the roster yet, but he's likely to reclassify and bring in. But I, I think he's a redshirt candidate more than likely. But to me, that's the guys I see. And again, Meshack and Jefferson, kind of the odd men out, in my opinion. Again, we haven't. there's been workouts and stuff, but they haven't really started practicing or anything like that yet. But I think he is, is going to make an impact. He could be the more or less your sixth man, I think, this year for Tennessee. Uh, Edwards is going to have to play unless he gets hurt or something. So you have to have minutes for him too. I think you have to play Adu um, because I think he's talented enough, especially defensively skilled enough that um, you have to play him. Cause I don't think he does. He does a lot of things that Urosh can't do just from an athletic standpoint, but Urosh again played pretty well last year, all things considered and has more than earned his minutes on this team. So Gene, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Cause I, I just think it's, it's going to be eight guys for sure. And then do you need those more than those eight once you get into kind of late February and into March and hopefully for Tennessee's sake into April as well? Question. I, I took a couple minutes to kind of type out just what um, – type out like just the, the guys. I didn't type in the, the kid who's not here yet because he's just not here yet. But, um, I mean, here's what I could see. Uh, Penciled in Ziegler, Vescovy, James, and Adu. Those are the four names that I typed in kind of above the others. Because after that, that's where the problems come. Not problems, but just questions. Um, you're going to go with the five-star kid because he's got five stars. Uh, Phillips, um, understand that there's a there's kind of a rush a rush from the fan base to kind of get this kid out here especially when you see projections that have him lottery and you know the Hobie and Cardi thing and all that stuff I understand that there's a rush and a, a desire to get him 32 minutes a game 
But what are you doing with uh, Olivier, who before he got hurt was playing very well for this team last year? So one of those two is going to come off the bench unless you put Badu on the bench and your biggest guy is 6'8", which is possible. You can do that. You could go Ziegler, Vescovy, James, Phillips, and Kamwa, um, and just tell, you know, Kamwa and Phillips to just battle like hell on the boards. And obviously Josiah can bring some of that as well. You know, then you look at, uh, I typed in next to key. I typed in six two guard. I typed in shooter. I think that's kind of what he is. Um, at this level. I'm not talking about what he was at, what was it, Indiana State or wherever it was. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about what he's going to be at this level. Uh, and I think a kid who can kind of provide, maybe think you, your your hope is that he's a better version of uh, Victor Bailey. A little more reliable, I, sh- I guess you could say. It's probably the better way you would say it. Um, Olivier, I just put a question, can he come off the bench? And if not him, same thing with Phillips. Can he come off the bench? By B.J. Edwards, I said either guard, either guard slot, is he ready? Um, next to Yorosh, I, I typed in the word goon. But then I also typed in they really improved his game last year. And that's not, it's indisputable. He went from just, you know, number one cheerleader um, to a, a very reliable basketball player. Probably gets, does a little too much. I don't want to say goonish activities, but there's a little too much of that. But, I mean, you kind of have to have that. We just saw in the NBA Finals, some people rob off of that. Let's see Draymond Green. Um, next to DJ Jefferson, I just typed in, what is he? And the first, I was watching, while you were talking, I was watching his highlight tape. And it's weird because the first thing that popped into my mind, and please don't take this the wrong way, fan base, I typed in, better version of Devontae Gates. Hmm. And maybe it's the left-handedness in him. Uh, but I, I see a kid who has a pretty smooth left-handed stroke, you know, plays a lot of energy. He's always clapping. He's always into it. I think he's the type of kid who would be perfectly okay if he's not a part of this rotation. Maybe he offensively is what – maybe he is the offense what Meshack is the defense. Uh, unfortunately, that means that they're both kind of left out. Because you have guys who bring that on both sides of the court. I mean, as Meshack improved offensively, because that's kind of, you know, you can throw that kid in for five minutes in the first half of the game, but down the stretch of games, unless you just need to foul, that kid's not going to get the minutes. Mm-hmm. Jefferson, is he ready? It's not a big question about him. Uh, Phillips, he's going to have to be ready. It's the same thing about Huntley Hatfield last year. Got to play that kid. Your future. So I got into a discussion slash argument with uh, a coaching friend of mine. Um, last, either, yeah, like Sunday, I think it was over the weekend about just where is Tennessee trending as a program? And, and we've talked about this on prior podcasts because I think it's fair to question, you know, as Dan Levertard asked The Rock on the first episode of Ballers, what's the in-game spence? Because you look and it's just, you know, this was built off of the backs of 
the really good basketball players who were under-recruited coming out of high school. Now you're getting these guys, and Rick Barnes' calling card is development, but you're not keeping these kids long enough to be developed, so therefore they're going to their next level. And yet, look, it's great for them. It's great for these kids. It's great for Kenny Kelly. It's great for Jaden Springer. Great for Keon Johnson. But I mean, we talk. I mean, there's not. It's not doing an awful lot for for the program. But when so when you get these guys, when you get a Julian Phillips, you have to give that kid opportunities to fail. Because he could, you know, he could succeed along the way. Mm-hmm. So you've got to find a way to get that kid twenty minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Because I just don't think that that's the type of kid that will be happy. Being a five, ten minute per game guy. I just don't, I just don't see it. I understand Huntley Hatfield got minutes and people have soured on him and I think he's going to surprise some people this year at Louisville. Um, I, I just do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just think he is. Um, I understand that Huntley Hatfield kind of got what he wanted, uh, in terms of just getting opportunities to play and maybe he didn't like his role. I'm not here to just solely listen to the talk from on one side and not the other. Um, it's say obviously it didn't work out, but um, those are the sorts of kids that have to get opportunities. And it's very rare that you get a kid who is a legitimate five-star prospect who is perfectly okay coming in and saying, five minutes per game, got it, coach. And look, he's, you know, that star ranking doesn't work out very well for for everybody. Siamani Bates. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, for those of you who don't know, the number one, you know, the number one player in the country, I think, the next quote unquote the, quote unquote the next Kevin Durant, um, who at one point we laughed about because I think he put Tennessee at, at, on his like short list one time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we talked ended about him around this time last year actually, yeah. Yeah. Ended up at Memphis. Uh is now going to Eastern Michigan. To play because nobody in the portal wanted nobody, so we had to go back home. So now the number one player in the country is going to Eastern Michigan. It's why you don't. It's good. It's good to enjoy seeing all the stars by a kid's name when he commits to your program, but like there's a little bit of coddling that has to go along with it, but. Same time, I mean, like these kids have to be prepared for this moment. You've got to find out if they're ready. You can tell quite early if you watch any Memphis basketball, it's true that Amani was not ready for all of that stuff. He reclassifies a 17 year old kid. He's just now 18. You know, I mean, Huntley Hatfield, you know, some of these kids in, in, in like the Bobby Mays programs, Bobby does a great job of like getting these kids exposure and stuff. They get to college and it's, you know, even, you know, being a role player at the University of Tennessee is not as glamorous as being a star player for Bobby Mays. And you're not ready for it, but you got to get those kids out there to see if they're ready because some will thrive. So again, I, you can't have Julian sitting over there playing, you know, looking like a star against uh, Radford or whoever they may play in the early seasons, early season schedule. And, getting a taste of it, and then all of a sudden you're playing some of these legitimate teams like Gonzaga's of the world, and you're not playing. You're playing in five minutes. Like you got to get that kid out there because that is a part of it. 
And when these kids are going to stay for one year, they don't really care about your resume of developing players. Are you going to give me the platform to get to the next level? The answer is no, that I got to leave. I got to go to the place where I will get the platform, where I will get it. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, that's going to be, I think, the biggest thing. You've got, I think, six. I, I, I think I count six potential starters. I think your Roach would be perfectly okay with every role. I think that kid just loves University of Tennessee and loves playing, loves being around that fan base, loves being around that team. He'll be now, can't not play him at all, but I think he'll be perfectly okay in a role that he plays like 10 to 15 minutes a game. But between Ziegler, Vescovy, Phillips, James, Adu, and Olivier, five of those guys, one of those six is coming off the bench. Yeah. Probably not going to be Ziegler, but it could be. How does that work? I mean, we've seen the Vescovy experiment at point guard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In my opinion, it's never worked out that way. It's been okay. Okay. But we saw what happened. <laughs> we saw what happened last year when Tennessee had a real legitimate point guard. Yep. And not just some, you know, ball handlers that can do it. It's, uh, looked really good last year. Everybody loved, you know, the taste of being, you know, like getting to argue about should we have been a two seed? How are we a three? Maybe we should have been a one. You were legitimately a top 10, top 15 program in the country last year when it was all said and done. So I think Ziegler starts. Vescovy and James book it. Yep. Phillips, Adu, and Olivier. That's where it is. But out of that, you know, then can you manage the egos, the person who doesn't start there? Adu, I don't think has. Adu doesn't have an ego, I don't think. Olivier and Julian, that's where it gets interesting. But if they, if I have no doubt that, you know, Rick can figure that thing out, um, then Tyree Key, I mean, like, that's a kid who played a lot in college. Well, he'll be, will be, he'd be okay playing 10, 15 minutes. Like BJ Edwards, um, that's another thing. That's now up to eight people. I think like you, I think DJ Jefferson is probably odd man out. Uh, Mayshack, I had him on a different line to begin with. And, uh, you've got Euros. So I think you're, what you're looking at is a team that has a lot of potential, but you also have this weird thing where you've got a sophomore kid who's taking over as starting point guard. You've got two singers that are kind of this, you know, the leaders of your program. Um, You've got a kid, you've got a senior that's probably coming off the bench who just transferred in. Uh, you've got to deal with the whole Olivier and Julian thing. And look, I don't, I don't want to act like there's bad blood. I'm not suggesting that at all. So please don't get yeah, I'm right, saying. Right. I'm just simply saying that's tough. That's tough for the five star kid. That's also tough for the four year kid. Mm-hmm. And there's no, sometimes you've got to find a happy medium there. And so that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see just kind of how all this stuff transpires this year, because that's going to be one of the keys is how good this team ends up being. Yeah. I don't envy the positions either. Well, it's good. It's a good problem to have that both Rick Barnes and Kelly Harper, uh, to be honest, have in terms of trying to figure out the right more Kelly Harper, especially with her loaded roster. She has, um, it's a, not a bad problem to have, but I don't envy the, um, 
I guess the decisions that either coach has to make. And like you said, that kind of managing the egos and and Rick Barnes has been doing this for decades. I I think he has the experience managing egos and, and, you know, doing things. Has he done everything perfectly in this 30 plus years of coaching? No, but no one's done anything perfectly in 30 plus years of living and doing your job. So uh, I I trust him for the most part to do everything well. Again, perfectly, no, but I, I trust him to do everything well because he's done it before. He's proved at Tennessee. He's done it, done it before for the most part, too. Um, again, you guess you could argue with Brandon Huntley Hatfield, did he? But that's a, that's a different situation. I don't think this would be a, a similar situation. Uh, do you want to say something, Gene? About the day, but I sometimes when I just start thinking, I just go well off the grid and I just think about stuff. My question is, what's about to happen to this program when uh, Vescovy and Josiah Lee. Yeah, it's a good question. Like that's to me, that's the most interesting thing out there because, again, it goes back to what I've. I mean, so much has been built on all these experienced guys who are your program builders that are are there. But how many of these guys maybe? You know, how many of these guys can be? Is there another Josiah in this program who, uh, you know, like Vescovy? I mean, I guess you can have Vescovy. I mean, he came in to play through the year, but how many guys like that are on this roster right now? Is it mm-hmm. Jay Edwards? Will BJ play enough his first year for, for people to kind of latch on to him? Because I think the kids who you for sure know are going to play early on. Phillips won't be here long enough to be really, you know, grabbed onto, you know, and I, so I think one thing that one of these days, maybe it's this time next year, unless those two decide to take the COVID year and come back for an additional season, which I doubt is going to happen. Yeah, I doubt um, it too. You know, like what happens with this program going forward? Because mm-hmm. so much of the success and the reason why they're getting all these guys right now is because of that team that is now that team's now three years old. It's been three years since that since that magical run to number one in the country. Um, heck, Brent Williams is about to get contract number two. Mm-hmm. You know, and Admiral and Bone are still trying to get to latch on. I think I saw Bone is getting a chance for the Celtics this summer. Yep. I'm assuming. Admiral is in Orlando still. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully he's not fighting because he's fighting for a spot to begin with. Uh, with It's unfortunate because he's at one of the two worst organizations in the NBA. Mm. Okay. I mean, just in terms of recent success with right. OKC being the other and with no real, you know, answers <laughs> up there. Uh, no. I feel bad for yeah. any Magic fans out there. I know and one. You, you and I only know one, Gene. <laughs> yeah, I know one. Uh, I, I know one, and it's and so and heck, they're in better. They're in a better situation. One of those two teams has to click with either with Bancaro or Holmgren. I mean, you certainly mm-hmm. hope so, but problem is you've got teams that are one thousand percent tanking. Um, Spurs are tanking, but you know they've got they've gotten pop. So, anyways, like I just I just look and I see 
when you look at this roster and you look at who teams are going after, um, I think Euros has gone after this year too, although Euros seems like the type to take the COVID season. Yeah, I would say, I think he might take the COVID season. Yeah. Yeah, but even then, you're just talking about a kid who averages, what, four points, five, six rebounds a game or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're not latching on to that guy. Right. You know, like John Fulkerson kind of was that guy, but the kid also averaged a double-double for a month. (laughs) You know, so he, he was a little more than just the lovable kid who dove in the stands for loose balls and had the shaggy hair. He was actually a really good basketball player. Um, I don't know what exists after those two kids leave because I don't know what this, maybe that's the opportunity for, dare I say, bars to sneak out the door. <laughs> I, I think it's a case too of, I, I hadn't really thought about that until you brought it up, but I think it's a case of maybe, me, you know, telling people to, to really enjoy this upcoming season because the next year is going to be... I don't think it'll be the same way it was after Grant and Admiral, all those guys left where it was a 17 and 14 year, you know, the, the year that ended short because of COVID. I don't think it'll be quite like that, but you, you make a good point. I mean, you're losing Vescovy, you're losing James, you're going to lose one way or the other, um, probably Julian Phillips. I mean... Pro- maybe Camwell also because he's a this will be his fourth year I mean there's a he could stick around for a fifth but I don't know that he will or not um this is this will be assuming he's healthy and can doesn't have a sophomore slump this upcoming season I mean I think the next the next year's team Gene's probably Sakai Ziegler's team but then that I think it's it's kind of like you said the attachment the, the fans love Sakai Ziegler that there's no question about that but you look at that season after um Grant Admiral Kyle and Bone all left it was you had Josiah come in as a freshman, then you ha- you had you had Bowden and Turner, yeah, Bowden and Turner were your, your two guys that that fans love, and I think in this case it'll be Ziegler and assuming he comes back for a fifth year, which I think he will, uh, it'll be Ziegler and Urosh, and then a couple. I mean, Mayshack will probably not have played enough, like you said, B.J. Edwards. I don't know that he will have played enough to really, you know, fans to grab onto him. Key's going to be gone. I don't think D.J. Jefferson. I don't. I don't know that Adu will. Have, done enough to really grab on to fans. I mean, they'll know who these guys are, but I don't know. Like you said, they, they won't be the the fan favorites, the faces of the team like Josiah and Vescovy are this year. Um, Ziegler, again, I think Ziegler will because fans love Ziegler, but um, he's he's the main one. And after that, that's a good point. And I think a big part of it is like these guys have to, like what, what really helped, what really has helped uh, the entirety, me, you know, the majority of um, Barnes's time is that he got Admiral when he first got there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when the the team started getting good, as Admiral was there, as Grant was here, but Fulkerson was in there too. So Admiral and Grant leave, and you still have you had Lamonte, you had the unfortunate retirement, you had Bowden out there still fighting, uh, and you had Fulkerson, but then here comes Josiah. Vescovy. So you now you have all three where you know which gives you opportunity to bring in Keon and Jaden and guys like that, but you kind of knew that they were short timers. And then this year you get Kenny Chandler, but you still got Fulkerson out there. And you know, and you know, Thompson Bowling was louder for I don't care if I don't know if Kennedy had one of those like 30 point explosions, but nothing was as loud as the N1 that Fulkerson had against Arizona. 
it, that arena was never as loud all season long. And they and look, Tennessee gave that fan base a lot to be excited about. Aren't they entering this season on like some twenty something game home win streak or something? Close. I'm assuming. Yeah, they were undefeated last year. It's close to twenty games, if not twenty. Yeah. yeah. So, like a big part of it, something I've had to learn is I've learned fandom, you know, in you know adulthood, is is that you kind of have to have that thing to latch on to, and I just think that as yeah, you've got Ziegler, and that's nice, and that's cool, and he gives you a guy. He kind of gives you a chance to do it, but who else do you have? Mm-hmm. Like, that's because everybody else is young after that. I mean, Yurosh, but, you know, like, Yurosh, will he be the starter? Like, can you get really excited about a kid who gives you 16 minutes a game off the bench? You know, like, will it be the sort of emotions that existed when Admiral went through his singer day, which I was at? Um, I didn't, I, I saw Fulkerson's on television. Um, I saw Bowden's and even Lamonte's. They were the, that year, as well as the guy I think we're about to talk about, Lucas Campbell. I think theirs were all together. And so, yeah, like, I just think it's interesting because I've, I believe, I don't know if I've said it before, but I thought it in, look, man, like it or not, if they don't get some more of these, like, if they continue to bring in these five-star guys who stay for a year, maybe two years, stay for a year and go pro, stay for a year and transfer, stay two years and transfer, whatever the case may be, guess what you've become? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you don't have an establishment. And you got to enjoy being the anti-Kentucky for years. You're number one in the country based off of all these guys who were the three, four-year guys. And now you're transitioning into that. And look, the portal is great. The portal will undoubtedly bring in some great additions. One of those kids, I guess only brought in Key this year. Um, but one of these guys will eventually click and have one of those amazing years. And I think Key be somebody that fans like and enjoy. He's a Tennessee kid. He'll be fun to watch when he gets his time. But that's why I've, that's why I've always asked, what's the long-term plan for Tennessee? If it's to be Kentucky, you got to be a better version of Kentucky. And I've seen some of Kentucky's recruiting. That guy got smart. One yeah. of their, I've seen one of their 2023 signees. His last name is Shepard. And yeah, Jeff Shepard's his dad. I saw that kid in Gatlinburg. There's some other kid who I think has scored like 3,000 points in Kentucky. But I think just got a Kentucky off. Calipari's out here mixing in some of these kids who are going to hang around for a few years. Like at some point, Tennessee's going to have to probably do the same thing. Uh, because I just don't know how sustainable it is to keep just bringing in portal guys and five-star guys, I think it's all going to just um, result in success because most of the teams that are having success right now in college basketball um, in all sports, I mean, in, at the NBA, um, in college, they have a nice base of guys who are in the program and they, they add in guys. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. Warriors brought in a couple guys. Like the biggest 
the Celtics' biggest acquisition, you know this better than I am, is Al Horford. Yep. Who's mm-hmm. 40. You know, like, so you're, you know, like, the, it, it starts at the bottom. And I always think teams should be started at the bottom and not literally just broad, you know, piece in, piece here. Okay, you're, you're gone in eight months. All right, we'll see it. You, know, you got to have some guys to kind of maintain what, what this program is. Yeah. Not that this year, Ziegler will probably carry it on. But do you have enough guys around him to kind of keep this thing going? Yeah, and I, th- and I think they've tried to do that. And I think you have it with multi-year guys like um, B.J. Edwards, Jemai Meshack, Jonas Adu. Like th- th- those guys are multi-year guys and probably D.J. Jefferson too. But also to your point, we've talked about this on the show before too. It's it's become harder to even do that now because of the transfer portal. Because if a guy isn't playing after a year, maybe two he's going to leave more than likely. Um, so that you can try it. I think they've, they have more or less tried um, to do that. Like you said, not just bring in the five stars and the, the transfers, but to actually bring in multi-year guys. And I think the most part it's, they've done a decent job at it. They could, but they could have done better. And there's also been misses along with the guys who have also transferred out due to playing time. So um, Tennessee's still in a good spot. Like this isn't, you know, you are any of the one are saying that they're, doomed or anything like that but it's just you, you make a good point like you, you can't just you're not going to be able to just do it year in and year out like a Kentucky had been for a while and then we saw you know what's happened with them where they haven't had the success with that one and done model and then now the transfer portal um, it's interesting to see what Arkansas has done with the transfers and, and, and what they've been able to do with that and th- again this year they'll be relying on a lot of probably one and done type talent or, or two and done type talent this year and did not as many transfers, but still some transfers in too, and kind of seeing what they do with that. So that, that kind of folds in here. We have two more questions that kind of folds into the next one I wanted to talk about. We'll probably have, we spent a lot of time with Andrew's question and kind of also got off on our own tangent, but talk about these next two kind of a little quicker. Um, Cause we've already talked for like 40, 50 minutes or so here. Uh, this one's from KBS at KBS 51 on Twitter. What are realistic expectations for the team at SEC competition? How does our how does Tennessee's returning production compare with other SEC teams? We kind of talked about this again at the beginning of the episode when we looked at the conference opponents and stuff, um, Gene. But without really getting too deep into it, because I've had a chance to look at all the rosters again and see kind of all the turnover and who all has been brought in and who all has left. But I think just returning production kind of experience, I think Tennessee's probably on the higher end of the returning experience. Because you got to think, I mean, look at who all you lost. You, you didn't lose, I mean, obviously Kennedy Chandler and John Forrest. I'm talking about from the transfer portal and stuff. Tennessee lost this past year. Um, you lost your leading scorer in Kennedy Chandler. And you lost you know a guy who'd been here for a million years in Fulkerson. But you return your second leading scorer, your third leading scorer, and your fourth leading scorer. So you, you return three of your top four leading scorers, and then you return a guy in Kamwa who would have been your fifth leading scorer, except he got hurt. And of course, Fulker, he, he still finished the year with more points per game than Fulkerson, but Fulkerson ended up playing more games. So I would say he kind of counts as the fifth guy there. But Kamwa technically would have been the fifth leading scorer on last year's team when it was all said and done. So really, you're returning four of your top five guys from last season. Um, in terms of scoring and also just kind of other production wise and rebounding and assists and stuff too. And then you're bringing in again, a Tyreek key who's been in college basketball for several years already, a, a guy or rush plastic who's been in your program for several years already. Adu is a year older as a sophomore. 
So I, I again, without going, without looking too deep into the other teams, Tennessee is going to be one of the more experienced teams returning, and they return a lot of production. You, you lose a huge piece in Kennedy Chandler, but you got like the other guys you're returning. Um, you, you didn't lose any other of your starters, or I guess, yeah, you didn't really lose any of your starters from last year. Brandon Huntley Hatfield started 13 games, but I wouldn't call him a full time starter. You, your full time starters were Chandler, Vescovy, James, Camwall when he was healthy. And then Urosh and Fulkerson kind of split starting duties for the most part there for, and then again, Hunt Hatfield too, but um, it was Fulkerson and Kennedy as your, your kind of starting pieces there slash sixth guy. And then you return your other starters and your, you know, main bench guys uh, are Adu that came back from last year. And, and then Meshack will be again, interesting to see what he does. But I think again, this would be a fairly experienced team to answer the other, other question. You asked part of the question that KBS asked, what are realistic expectations Without kind of rehashing too much what we said at the beginning of the show, Gene, I, I think it's going to depend a lot on kind of what the SEC is like this year because there's just a lot of question marks with the SEC. I think it'll be it'll be an entertaining conference. I don't know that it'll be a top two, top three conference like it was last year. I think it'll be top five just because, I mean, they're a power six conference, so I don't expect them to be at the bottom of that totem pole. Um, but I expect them to be kind of a top five top four type of conference this upcoming season. I think Tennessee realistic expectations are for them to be in the top four still. I mean, I, I just, I think that they have the, the experienced roster. They have the talent on that roster still to be a top four team in the SEC. I, I don't know that they, I've seen some early projections already, very early projections kind of have them already be kind of the favorite in the SEC. I think it's, you're going to see a lot of Tennessee, a lot of Kentucky and a lot of fans being wild on Arkansas because of who all they're bringing in as kind of the the three teams that people are going to circle. And you can't write out Auburn. Auburn just they they won the SEC regular season this past year, um, so you can't count them out either. So I think those would be the the four teams that most media people are going to circle are kind of the four teams that have been atop of the SEC the last few years uh, for the most part. You know give or take a year or two where you know, one of those teams or two of those teams have been down. It's really been those four teams and LSU and uh, again, Alabama recently too, that that has been kind of the upper echelon of the sec for the last five years or so. Um, so I think realistic expectations for Tennessee is again, top four. And I think Tennessee is probably one of the most experienced teams returning in the sec next year. Again, without kind of doing too much research into it yet, I just look at who Tennessee's returning and I don't know that too many other teams in the sec or in the country for that matter, returning, you know, four of their top five scores from the previous season. I think, you know, Tennessee will easily be top four. I think we just kind of, kind of booked that. I mean, maybe Sleeper would be probably A&M kind of sneaking to, I think five, I think one through five are kind of pretty interchangeable. Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee. Um, I, I think it's interesting because I, I was, Kind of trying to do some stuff off memory. Uh, Bama added Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when at least back, I think he's coming off like an injury or something. Had a couple of transfers come in. Um, Auburn obviously lost number what three pick in the drafts, and then also Walker Kessler. Uh, I saw the Moorhead State kid play, and they brought in I think is Donnie Broom. I think is his name. Um, really, really talented player. It's like six ten, six eleven. I don't. He's kind of maybe a mix of those two guys, uh, Kessler or Smith, but he's not, he's not as good as either one. Uh, can't block like Kessler, can't score like Smith, but good player. And then they got the two guards, Johnson and Green. 
Arkansas, we already know about Nick Smith, all the, the pieces they brought back. Um, Kentucky's going to be tough. And, uh, you know, they brought, they bring back the national player of the year. Got two five star guards and Wallace and Livingston. Uh, CJ Frederick can shoot the lights out of the ball. Our transfer got a kid from, uh, Illinois State back in score as well. Um, I, I, so I could see Tennessee factoring in somewhere in that mix. I don't see him going to five. I think somewhere one through four, which I guess would mean a double by the SEC tournament. Uh, it's more realistic. Um, you know, as long as, as long as they don't like suffer. Look, I think they can handle a guard injury, but you don't want, you don't want Ziegler or Vescovy or Edwards specifically. Uh, just because that, uh, Vescovy and Phillips can kind of play multiple positions. Um, definitely don't want Josiah to go out. I think you just can't lose him. Not on this team. Not on this team. So, um, certainly got some pieces in place there. Um, but I, I could, like I said, I, I see them being anywhere in the one through five thing. I think the schedule will give them some opportunities to maybe sneak out to an advantage early on. And then you just have to have a good February, um, to balance that out. But you're going to get, I mean, SEC does a good job of scheduling. You're going to get Alabama once in February. You're going to get Auburn once in February. You're going to get Arkansas once in February. You're going to get Kentucky once in February. You could easily get, I don't know, I don't remember the teams that you get twice, but you could easily get Kentucky twice. Because I'm pretty sure my first year covering Tennessee, uh, they played twice in three weeks. <laughs> I think they played in Lexington uh, sometime around Valentine's Day and then like played in Knoxville, like towards the end of the regular season. Mm-hmm. That was the 1819 team. Yep. So it's usually almost how it feels like they, they played twice since usually within a three, three and a half week span when they do it. Yeah. So I, I can see that, that though, I think they will be somewhere in one through five. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a lot of teams who are going to be trying to figure a lot of stuff out. It's just how many teams go into the season with more, more answers than questions. And I think that the five teams I've mentioned have more answers than they do questions, which is why I kind of put them on a level above the rest. I'll say it's interesting to look at kind of the uh, the transfer rankings because that, that kind of goes into experience because you're bringing a five-star recruits, that's not experience, and you don't know what exactly the production is going to be like in college. And it's also fair to say, you know, you don't, want, don't know what the production is going to be like from a transfer from one school to the next either. Um, but the SEC has... <laughs> Uh, some of the top transfer schools in the country in terms of looking at just two or sevens transfer rankings. There's, I think, three SEC teams in the top 10, but you're, you're the top four SEC teams in terms of um, the transfer portal on two four sevens. Arkansas, which, I mean, they've just brought in a lot of talent. Missouri, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Florida and LSU, because LSU is more because they had to. And I guess kind of Missouri, too, is both those teams had six transfers they brought in. Um, but Arkansas and Florida kind of, have the more talented type of transfers. It looks like, um, I think else you got, got some good guys too. Um, Arkansas bringing in Jackson Robinson from, or excuse me, they, uh, they left, you know, right. He left to go to other places, but they brought in Ricky council, the fourth from, uh, gosh, what's that? I can't remember where he came from now. Um, 
but he, he came in. They also brought in Makai Mitchell and Mikkel um, Mitchell, the Mitchell brothers from Rhode Island. Got in uh, Javon Brazil, who played for Missouri as a forward, so he transferred within the conference. And then from Arizona State, Jalen Graham as well. So uh, several, again, the Mitchell brothers, Brazil, Graham, and then also uh, brought in Ricky Council, the fourth, as your transfers. You also look over at uh, who's this Missouri, which yeah, I'll, I'll look at Missouri, but I don't know that it, it's a huge thing. Isaiah Mosley is one of the guys who uh, transferred over the Tigers. I'm just kind of I'm just interested to see kind of experience wise who all came in here. He transferred over to Missouri. Uh, you also have Trey Gomilian. I don't even know how to say that name. Uh, Demol Hodge, who both came from the same school, which I don't know what school that is. What school is this? Cleveland State is where he came from. And by the way, the uh, other kid, Isaiah Mosley, was transferring in um, from Missouri State. And then you also had the Mergan Noah Carter, who came from UNI, so Northern Illinois. And then a player from Clemson, and Nick Honor. And then they also brought in uh, DeAndre Golson from uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee, so the UW-Milwaukee, Bruce Pearl's old stomping grounds over there. Florida and LSU are kind of the ones that also I think will be uh, Vol fans more interested in as well, Uh, especially Florida because they're, to me, a big X factor. Uh, The most recent one for them was back in May was Kyle Lofton, who transferred from St. Bonaventure, who was was a very good player for the Bonnies. Um, Of course, you know, People got to see them in the NCAA tournament. Um, he was very good for them. You also brought in Trey Bonham from uh, VMI, who, uh, yep, yeah, you know that name, Gene. <laughs> uh, Alex Fudge from LSU. And then you also had um, Belmont transfer Will Richard, who's going to Florida. Who Again, he's a very good player, uh, combo guard from uh, Belmont. So, yeah, Bel- yeah, they got Belmont, uh, LSU. And then again, uh, VMI and uh, whoever else I said, Kyle Offen from Bonaventure. I think I think Florida got some really good, talented players in his transfers. And then again, LSU because more or less because they had to because they at one point didn't even have a roster. Uh, they literally had <laughs> no one on the team. Uh, Derek Fountain from Mississippi State transferred in to LSU. Uh, you also had uh, Trey Hannibal who came from Missouri Murray State, which again. Uh, New head coach from Murray State brought in a lot of his guys from Murray State. He had Trey Hannibal, KJ Williams, and Justice Hill all from Murray State going to LSU. And uh, some of those guys, especially Hill, a very good player over there. Um, KJ Williams also very good for Murray State. Cam Hayes from NC State, who Tennessee once recruited um, out of high school, transferred in. And then also Kendall Coleman, who played for Northwestern, Northwestern State. So that was a lot, a lot of stuff I just kind of threw everybody there. I was just curious to kind of look at some of the transfers that had come in to the sec and some of the top you know top programs according to 247 uh and the transfer portal for the sec uh to get to the final question though gene as we want to wrap up the show here is from brian walker which is at brian walker uh with the y and brian and then his at is at brian walker without a e in the walker uh says tell us more about the new recruiting coordinator for basketball Gene, it's a name that'll probably sound familiar uh, to a lot of all fans listening. Tennessee's new recording co- uh, recruiting coordinator for men's basketball is a former Tennessee player. No, it wasn't a scholarship player. A, a former walk-on, Lucas Gamble, uh, who I think you just mentioned 
a few minutes ago, Gene said you get to see his senior day because he's with a lot of the big name guys uh, for Tennessee in the senior day. But Lucas Camel is now the Tennessee director of recruiting. It was originally reported by um, the Knox News Sentinel, or I guess Knox News, Mike Wilson. I also see the RTI uh, also confirmed it with a Tennessee spokesperson on, I think, late Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday, uh, when this was Tuesday when this was announced. Uh, so he's going to be, again, the uh, director of recruiting. He oversee on-campus visits for recruits, as well as recruiting travel for the Vols coaching staff. Of course, he played for Tennessee as a walk-on, uh, but and in the coaching ranks, though, he actually just spent this last season with ETSU as the director of basketball operations for ETSU under, of course, former Tennessee assistant Des Oliver, who is the head coach at ETSU. I actually, I didn't know this but in the RTI uh, article. Here says the Christ Academy of Knoxville standout. He came to Tennessee as a member of the track and field team before transitioning to basketball as a walk-on in 2015. Played in 16 games at Tennessee, scored 15 points during his four seasons. And of course, um, was part of the 2018 SEC championship team and the 2019 Sweet 16 team as well. So, Gene, I don't, you know, I don't think it's the director of recruiting has a, it's a nice ring to it. You think, oh, that's a really cool title. It doesn't have maybe as much of prestige as maybe you might think it does, but it's again, it's still an important role. You oversee all the visits and again with the travel and stuff too. So it's, it's not like I'm saying, you know, you know, it's just a token hire or whatever. There's, it's a, an important role, but I think it's nice to see that a, a guy who was at Tennessee already at one point for four years at Tennessee goes and follows an assistant coach to ETSU and then comes back to Tennessee. So I, again, I don't know, you know, I don't think it's going to massively change anything about Tennessee's recruiting or, um, you know, change the way they, I just not realize my camera has been messed up this entire time. My apologies, guys. Uh, change the way that Tennessee has been, uh, you know, way they do recruiting or anything like that. But that's it, nice hire. It's, it's not a big splashy name. Again, I don't think a director of recruiting is going to be a big splashy name. I'll, I'll kind of look back and see who some of the other directors of recruiting have been for Tennessee. But Lucas Campbell, the new director of recruiting, I think it's, you know, I don't think it's a bad move. It's a guy who knows Rick Barnes, that's for sure. He he came to Tennessee right as Rick Barnes did in 2015. That was when uh, <clears throat> Barnes was hired as the head coach. I Yeah, that was right. 15-16 would, would have been his first year. So um, he's he had been part of t- the Tennessee ever since Rick Barnes was there. Left, of course, to go follow Des Oliver at ETSU, and now he's back at Tennessee. So um, that's a good hire. I mean, I, I, I don't think in don't want to make it sound like it's the world's best best hire or that's a terrible hire. I just think it's a, you know, just a little bit of background on who Lucas Campbell is for those who may not know. Yeah, I'll only add this. I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, after kind of reading um, what's required of this position, you know, it's essentially the same position that he had at ETSU. It's just Tennessee has a lot more money than ETSU. (laughs) And so therefore they have, a director of basketball operations and like at ETSU, the director of basketball operations also handles all that recruiting stuff. It's just Tennessee now has obviously the, the queen of Tennessee basketball. Um, I'm sorry. I've almost, I just Mary, Mary Carter Eggert. Um, she handles all the director of basketball operations stuff. Whereas Lucas's sole job would be to coordinate these recruiting visits, um, which is really cool. Cause like I said, that's the same at mid-major Division One schools, especially like an ETSU or UTC, that person is the same person mm-hmm. that does that handles, you know, the visits, the scheduling. Heck, the assistant coaches help out a lot with those visits and stuff. And so it's really cool that Lucas, who you know, has was around, um, 
who was around Barnes do a lot. I mean, was what spent seven years essentially with him mm-hmm. and then spent last season with Dez. Like that's just a Tennessee guy. And so now you have an opportunity and an opportunity has presented itself uh, to be a part of this staff that he obviously has familiarity with, especially at the top. And I have no doubt that he'll, he'll take full advantage of it because I mean, heck he's parlayed, uh, heck he parlayed this into, um, and, Real quick, I think it looks like a new position. I'm looking at last year's roster. Yeah, that I, I'm, I'm all the way back to the to the 1920 yeah. season, and I have yet to see a director of recruiting. So I think you're right. I think it is yeah. just a new position. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like that, that's a position that's typically held. Um, the director of basketball operations kind of coordinates a lot of that stuff. Yep. Knows maybe you know maybe that was something that uh, I'm trying to read real quick about what. Some of these responsibilities were Kim McDonald. I looked at; he was the director of student athlete development. It's not there. Uh, you know, I'm glancing. I, I doubt that they've adjusted. Uh, yeah, I doubt they may have just. I, I think that they just took that out. Uh, but it could, yeah, it could just be it's something that he he's taking off the plate of, as you mentioned, Mary Carter Eggert, because she's been. She's been there eight years and she's done, I mean, she's kind of the, the un, untalked about heart and soul of that kind of coaching staff over there. Yeah. So I, I just, it's just, and obviously it's a great opportunity for Lucas, which I think is the biggest, is the biggest thing. And I, and I doubt that this is, I doubt that this is costing, you know, if it is truly Mary Carter that maybe just had something taken off her plate, I doubt that that actually affects the paycheck or anything like that. I think that it just gives her more time to focus on other things, which is all the stuff that she deals with, with day-to-day operations, uh, you know, travel, all of that stuff. Uh, it says right here, uh, she also manages head coach Rick Barnes' calendar. Yeah. And she literally control her job is to control you know, Rick Barnes and the Tennessee coaching staff. So if she can take recruiting off her plate, then that's certainly not a loss. It certainly is a win for Lucas in this case. Yeah, and by the way, I'm, I'm looking at her. Uh, bio on the YouTube website and I thought this is a, a cool quote from Josiah Jordan James said MC is really the mastermind behind it all she's our coach off the court she plays a big role in all of the players lives by checking on us daily making sure we have everything we need and she always keeps our spirits up she brightens every room she's in and Tennessee basketball wouldn't be as great as it is without her I mean I, I remember Mary Carter because I you know cover the team for multiple years in actual media. I mean, she, she's been, she's been in some sort of administrative role with Tennessee since 2007. She was in a student assistant for the media relations department from 07 to 11, 11 to 12. She was a graduate assistant for media relations, which would have been what I knew her was uh, when she was with media relations. And then also as the assistant media relations director from 12 to 15, and then from 15 to now she's been the director of basketball ops. So I knew her when she was with media relations and I've, I've known her, you know, a little bit more, since then too, but I haven't you know talked to her in a long time. Maybe she'd be an interesting person to have um, as a guest on the show. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's just kind of a a title given to somebody, and I think he's taking some stuff off her plate, or maybe some stuff off of somebody else's plate that um, you know is bringing Lucas Campbell in because you had some you know more off season changes with um, support staff roles and stuff with again the promotion to. Uh, oh goodness, I just forgot his name. But you had you had a little bit you know not as much the previous year, but you had some more you know movement with your assistant coaches and stuff. So it's just kind of a, you know, maybe reshuffling of responsibilities, but it's nice to have Lucas Campbell, you know, back in the fold and back at Tennessee where he spent a large chunk of his, you know, pretty developmental life as a college student at Tennessee. So nice to see he's back 
at the University of Tennessee. Eugene, thank you so much for your time. And thank you to everyone sending questions to Andrew Davis, to KBS, to Brian Walker, even to Derek, who I know we didn't really answer your question, but you asked about Aiden Hallway. So <laughs> do appreciate you sending your question. And feel free to send some in in the future. I think you've asked ones in the past uh, for mailbag episodes. So thank you so much for that. All of you guys who are sending questions. I mean, we'll have, to do, we'll have to do a Lady of All episode one in the future, whether it's you, me, Gene, or if I bring on someone like Maria to do it. But I think it'd be nice to have a episode mailbag episode for the lady vols too but thank you to, again andrew kbs brian and derek for all your questions if you guys have any more questions in the future leave any you know in the comments on below on this youtube video uh reach us on twitter at vol hoops fever on twitter or you know reach me i'm at mr underscore rutherford on twitter as well but thank you all again for listening for tuning in however you're doing it watching it listening to it on the podcast i really appreciate all of you guys every single week listening and watching along to our show Setting off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of Vault Basketball Fever. Thank you for listening to the Vault Basketball Fever podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vault fans.